Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. again and welcome to the show. On today's live chat, I talked to Ola. She's a TTC warrior and advocate from Nigeria. She's been going through IVF treatments abroad, so it was interesting to talk to her about that experience. She also has various platforms and is working on projects to increase representation in the infertility community and give voice to BIPOC folks struggling through this journey. Ola and her wonderful, calming voice and accent are a joy to listen to. Her humor is captivating, and I hope that you enjoy your chat as much as I did. Hello, Ola. Thanks so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to finally sit together and hear more details about your story. Finally, right? After... (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. So we're going to start with you sharing, if you don't mind, how you met your husband and how your fertility journey started. Well, we actually met at a party. My brother was having a surprise birthday party for his wife. And uh, my husband is friends with his wife. So he came to the party and we met. Yeah, and at that time, actually, <laughs> which is actually probably strange for Nigerian because I think when you're in your 30s, uh, there's a lot of pressure to get married. So usually, you know, if you're in your 30s and you meet a guy and you think he's good, you're like, oh, you know, trying to get married as quickly as possible. But I remember telling him like a few dates into like, oh, you know, I just want to hang out. Like, you know, I hope you're not taking this seriously. We're like, not trying to be serious. <laughs> and then he looked at me like, what? Like, who says that? Like, you like, <laughs> that was weird or something. But I think that's probably part of the reason why he thought, okay, this is strange. Maybe I should try to get him to know her better because this, this is not normal, whatever that nice. normal is. So it was yeah. intriguing. It was intriguing exactly. for him. Yeah, I think exactly. that's, a, I think uh, sometimes men don't realize the pressure that yeah. is put on women by society into getting married and, and having kids quickly at to a certain age and stuff. So when you put it like that, he thought it was strange, but it made sense to you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And here we are now. So yeah, I guess it worked out. yes clearly and then you didn't he was already a friend of the family so you didn't have the awkward come meet my family situation (laughs) it's perfect yes he had some inside uh, help as well so that was good and yes and then in terms of fertility uh i think we we started with a loss so it was like we didn't have infertility issues at the beginning so you know we got married and i mean got pregnant like a month or two right after you know and I thought that was normal anyways, right? Because that's what they've always told us, you know, if you have sex, you're gonna get pregnant. So mm-hmm. I thought that was normal. But then we had a couple of losses and then, you know, so that was that was what made me, that was what thrust me into the infertility or fertility community in that sense, because I started going on the internet and trying to find support, trying to find other people that had similar experiences. 
because at the time I'd had a loss initially and then I had another one which was like a heterotopic pregnancy which is a twin pregnancy with one being an ectopic and the other being in the uterus so that was very mm. traumatic for me and um you know I was very lucky because again there was lots of internal bleeding I had to have blood transfusions um I lost a tube part of my ovaries as well so I think you know that happening so early in the marriage thought you know you just and I didn't find anyone around me that seemed to know what had happened to me so I went on the internet and found lots of forums and Instagram and Facebook yes. and that's pretty much as one as one does yeah yeah, right so it was really helpful I needed that at that time so that's interesting yeah that you just got found that lack of support right away there was no one around you like friends family that had gone through or even known someone that had it feels so alone you feel like you're the only one yeah, they probably, I'm sure, I mean, I mean, considering the statistics that, you know, one in four pregnancies end in their loss, I'm sure the, they might have had similar, maybe not a heterotopic, maybe a miscarriage, but no one talks about it, right, because it's not something you want to say, so no one was saying anything, but then I found, you know, the online community and everyone was talking about it, and I just thought, oh, this is perfect, okay, I can see people that I can connect with, so that was what happened initially, and then after that, we had other losses, um so we thought well perhaps maybe and because you know the more losses happened we had surgeries to investigate and the more surgeries were potentially causing issues and scarring so eventually the doctors recommended IVF and at that time I just thought oh this is perfect right IVF I'm gonna Mm -hmm. have twins (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be beautiful easy yeah, and beautiful yeah like oh yeah let's start right away and so we started and then it just the more I the more IVF cycles we did the more we realized that oh I guess it's not as easy as we thought I mean people even said congratulations to me the first time because we thought oh yeah you're doing IVF it's gonna it's gonna work out then yeah uh, six IVFs down the line uh we're not there yet Wow. Uh, we still plan number seven. So when did you when did you start? Do you remember the year? Uh the IVF cycles? Yeah. I think IVF started in 2017, I think. Yeah, probably 2017. Okay. My first so, IVF cycle. So about four years, almost four years okay. now. Yeah. But you know, last year we took the whole year. I mean not, not not intentionally, but the whole year was mm-hmm. off last year. Yeah, the pandemic, yeah. right? There was no one traveling anywhere, and we're cycling overseas, so we can really travel. And currently, as well, it's still the same issue; it's still on hold. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so complicated. Very complicated. So when you started IVF, of course, with a different mindset that you have now right with that idea of um things are gonna happen that was the same with me actually people uh, gave me congratulations when um when I stopped birth control um it's not like I was walking around telling people I stopped birth control but I had huge breakouts and and then some people would sort of look funny or people that were close to me would actually ask, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? Because it was pretty bad, just Mm. all of a sudden. And then I said, well, you know, that was always my excuse. Oh, I just stopped birth control. 
And I was already in treatment by then, but I wasn't sharing it that much. And then as soon as I said that, people are like, oh, congratulations, as if it was just like you get off and you get pregnant. (laughs) I'm like, that is totally not what's happening. So um, when you started, um, you were on, were you in Nigeria then or did you start abroad right away? No, I started in Nigeria because I just thought it was easier. I'm ready. You know, I can have the support of my husband. We don't have to travel. And there are many great clinics here anyway. So I just thought still we're here. Uh, so that was the initial plan. But over time, um, we decided to have genetic testing and the procedure just seemed easier abroad in terms of what was required. You know, in some cases, they were asking for more tests and other other family members and we just didn't want to get into that so it was just easier overseas okay interesting yeah and it's it's is it pretty convenient like in normal times not right now of course to to travel from where you are into your new clinic yeah I mean it is because I'll usually go to the UK first and then travel from the UK I mean we did a cycle in the UK as well but then it was so expensive for the additional genetic testing so we just thought uh, perhaps it's better to consider other options. You know, there was Greece, Spain, which is much cheaper than the UK. So it's easier to travel from the UK to other European countries anyway. Um, I mean, it's not easy cycling overseas just because there's so much involved. You know, when you go to the actual location, there's hotels and additional expenses. And sometimes my husband can't go with me the entire time because mm. he has to work. So he might just come for like, in the last three days or four days and then which means I'm just staying in a foreign place by myself and you can't really it's not like you're there for vacation so at the same time you're mindful of that so it's not ideal but I mean considering what we're trying to get to do we just yeah yeah yeah, you put your heart into just, it uh, and then you do what you yeah. can. You make the best out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And how did yeah. you, how much research um, did you talk to people for you to choose a clinic abroad? I was always curious on like how challenging was it for you guys? Yeah, I spent a lot of time on the internet and then I went to fertility shows in the UK as well. Mm. And in those fertility shows, you actually have a lot of clinics coming from all over the world, lots of places from Europe, from India, from there's so many countries. So it was really amazing. That really helped because then they had like a little chat with them at that point and then contacted them later uh, for further consultations. And lots of them did consultations online and Zoom anyways, even before COVID. So that was actually really helpful. And then there's some Facebook um, groups as well for each clinic, for many clinics. So they have Facebook groups of people that have used them before and what the reviews were like. Uh, But it wasn't easy because, again, we've gone to so many countries, uh, you know, for consultations and Mm -hmm. visitors. Spend so much money doing that as well. Um, Because sometimes when you speak over the phone, it's not the same when you actually get to the clinic as well. So... I can't say it was easy, but I'm glad that, uh, and again, we've actually also cycled into some clinics that everything seemed fine, but then when we had the treatment, you realize that the doctor wasn't really someone that was listening. Because I remember one of the cycles, I had, uh, you know, with IVF, you take different drugs. And over time, I realized that menopause doesn't work well for me. Mm. So I remember telling that clinic that, you know, I was better off with Gunal F based on experience, this was better. 
but then the doctor insisted they wanted to use menopause. I'm like, okay, you know, if that's what you want to do, let's try it out. And then the response wasn't great. So we wanted to do another cycle. And then he insisted on using the same thing. And I thought that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. first of all, it's never worked in the past as much as I wanted. And then I told you, and we've done this already and you want to do the same thing again. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, okay, it's time to move on to another clinic. So you can still have that happen, even though everything seems fine initially, it might not work out. And yeah. I had to get to the point where I had to not bother so much about the fact that I invested so much money or started off uh, with that clinic and knowing when it's time to leave as opposed to just staying just because we already started. Yeah. Uh, so it was very hard uh, to do that, but, you know, Again, if it's not working out, if they're not listening to you, then it's time to uh, go somewhere else. Yeah, it's such a tricky balance with this um, journey and the, the different doctors and clinics and drugs and stuff, because you want to put your trust in the doctors, obviously, and the professionals that are helping you. But at the same time, you have to advocate for yourself and maybe do your own research and listen to your body and pass on your... Um, feelings and experience to the doctor especially if you're going through um so many different experiences like you do right so did yeah. you find that like were you did you already have this type of personality um before that you know you are more assertive and you know what you want and you advocate for yourself or did you learn it through the process no I think I've always been someone that knew I mean knows what I want and I'm gonna do it regardless of course because this was a little different in the sense that it's medical and you want to you want to listen to the professionals initially I was a little bit more um I wasn't challenging things at the beginning mm -hmm. because I thought it's better to listen to the professionals I'm not an expert in this area so I should listen but then over time and you know being on social media and also doing research I started to understand that just because they're professionals doesn't mean they're always right and it's important. And there's no one, um, you know, one formula that works for everybody. So doctors have to be willing to be flexible. And I also have to be able to speak up and say, this is what has worked for me. This hasn't worked or let's try something different. So over time, I let go the fact that I thought they were professionals and just went back to my original self, which is I'm gonna, this yeah. is what I want. If you're gonna listen, fine. If not, then perhaps it's time to move on to someone to else as we need to listen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, in the end you got, well, right now you have enough experience that you know way better than the doctors how your body is gonna react, right? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's like experience it's you- crazy, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say it's experience that you probably wish you never had to like to, to have, but it does, exactly, it does right? help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not something you want to have as an experience, but again, Hey, yeah. You helps, use, right. And that's you why we hear both in social media now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. So when did you start your um, account on Instagram and how, like, when did you decide that you were going to do this and sort of expose a bit of your journey and try to give support for other women? 
or other folks out there? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I went online because again, I was trying to find support uh, and find other people like myself. And over time, I think I just realized it was good. It felt good to encourage and support other people as well. Even though I'm still on my journey, I just thought I loved when other people got their good news and shared. Yes, a part of me would always wonder, oh, wow, I'm not there yet. But at the same time, hearing those stories also brought a lot of hope and just encouragement. And I always like when people like send me a DM and say, hey, yeah, we spoke before and now I'm pregnant or whatever the case, or I now have my babies. And it's always, it's good because then I can look back at the conversations and see how we thought, you know, this wasn't gonna work out or whatever the case. And then here you are with the good news. So again, it's encouraging. And I think there's so much awareness required, especially in Nigeria, people don't talk about it as much. So um, I really wanted to just let people know that it's not, they're not alone. It's not just them. There's other people dealing with it, even though we're not talking about it as much. Yeah, that's beautiful. I find, um, yeah, I've been, well, we've, we've been in more and more contact through the, through the months since, since last year and, and having more conversations and sharing more privately as well. And then of course you have your group on clubhouse and, or the conversations on clubhouse that we can go into as well. But what I, what I've been finding more and more on the conversations is this talk about culture, right? So with mm. your um, Instagram account and your podcast, you've talked to people from all over the world, right? From different countries um, near yeah. you, but also um, further away, right? So me, I'm in Canada, and I know you've talked to a lot of people in the uh, States as well. So different continents and different countries. What do you find from your experience talking to all these people? How is the Nigerian culture with the infertility industry and approach different from other places? Well, let me actually answer by saying, first of all, I think infertility as a whole is still highly stigmatized around the world. It's still, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done regardless of where you are. Um, there's still a lot of uh, focus on the women as opposed to men as well. People still not aware of the fact that, the fact that male factor infertility exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's a global issue still. But I think that in Nigeria with culture, sometimes things can be, there's a little bit more added pressure. Um, People are expected to, all women are expected to procreate. So, I mean, if you do get married, people expect that to happen in nine months. If not nine Mm -hmm. months, maybe a year or soon after. There's a lot of pressure in that sense. Um, And of course, if it's not happening, then you start hearing those conversations or comments that you don't want to hear. Uh, so there's that part, and I think we can do a little bit more, much better. And I think, again, because of the culture, because of the stigma, you wouldn't find a lot of people as well on social media talking about this, because, again, people don't want everyone to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because we've always been raised to keep your private business private and fertility issues certainly is quote unquote private. Yeah. Um, so we have a, which, I mean, I understand that aspect, but I think if we keep, if we all keep quiet, then how do we find support when we need it? And many of us need the support. You know, yeah. there are lots of fertility clinics in Nigeria. So obviously people need it for you to exist, but then we're not talking about it. So um, there needs to be a balance between um, keeping your privacy, but also um, advocating for things that need to change and letting people, because I mean, it can be quite stressful in fertility, right? Dealing with this and not having anyone to talk to without the social media, without people talking. Yeah. Know, how will people get on every single day just by themselves, just in their house alone, not, not connecting to other people? Yeah, it's support and education together, yeah. right? I totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how culture um, plays a big part. Um, I think families as well, right? Do you find there, is it pretty overall that the pressure and the stigma in um, women and infertility is consistent? Or do you feel some families are a bit more progressive? Like in Brazil, for example, and I find in Canada very similarly, um, it depends a lot of how you're brought up. So if your um, parents or grandparents were a bit more progressive and more opened, you are not raised as a, as a, a female, let's say, to, to think that you have to get married and have kids. But mm. still the majority is like that and society is. But if your family is a bit more, let's say, like liberal or progressive, it, it can be different. How do you feel that it's there um, for you? Yeah, I think you're you're right. It's the same in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I think having children is a big deal here. Mm -hmm. um, I think because people we don't we don't have the culture of uh, having um, homes for older people like retirement homes or things like that. We don't have that here. So people are always focus on the fact that they expect that their children will take care of them when they're older. Right, so it's not uncommon to maybe have a, a parents living with the, their child and their yes. spouse, or at least living close. So when when people, ex I mean, when people think about it in that way, they're like, "Well, if you don't have any children, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to continue your name?" People like the name continuing, right, to ensure yeah. that my generation doesn't die off. Right, I got to make sure our names keep on, so that there's a lot of that. And so regardless of people that are progressive or not, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, people still want children. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's like sometimes one thing, it's so fascinating talking about culture and when you really dissect, like the simple thing of an old um, a nursing home or um, old folks home not being a norm or as yeah. uh, popular or not even existent just can determine and trickle down in so many ways and affect mm -hmm. so many people. And yeah. yeah, in this case, mostly girls that are growing up to be 
childbearing yeah. women supposedly that is that's <laughs> fascinating yeah um so if we go back to the treatments that you have so you have a lot of experience with six rounds and if like the listeners that are um here that have gone through even one round of IVF they know how um hard that can be um, can you share a bit of like how were the rounds for you when you said like you know Manipur didn't work? Um, what what did that mean? Did it mean you didn't have enough eggs or the embryos didn't um, survive the days that they're supposed to? Or what was the what was the outcome that didn't work for you? Okay, so 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 the the cycle of the menopause was actually cancelled because mm. it just got to a point where it's not. The body wasn't responding as it should. The follicles weren't growing well enough. Um, so it had to be canceled. So I already knew that about the mind. But then you still had stimulation for like, I don't know, seven, eight days anyways, and it still got canceled. Um, but again, that's probably why I think it's important before doing IVF to do some research. I'm not sure it's good to just proceed with whatever the clinic says, because I remember my first experience I'd gone to the clinic myself and the doctor had asked what day of my cycle I was. And I'm not sure if it was day two or day 21. She asked that if it was either or both, I could start right away. And of course, in my mind, because I thought IVF was, IVF was guaranteed, I thought, oh, great. If we start right away, then, you know, you could be pregnant next month or whatever and have the baby soon. So I said, yes. But then they hadn't done any blood tests. Do you know what wow. I mean? Like, so they did the blood test on that day. But then they proceeded to give me uh, a drug to shut down the ovaries, which was Zolodex. Zolodex is, you know, it does a really good job in shutting down the ovaries. But if they had done my blood work initially, they would have realized that they shouldn't have used that because it was not going to be very hard to try to, you know, stimulate the ovaries again afterwards. Because prior to this again, because I've had those experiences with surgeries on my ovaries and the tube as well. Um, it impacted the egg reserve in that sense. So they shouldn't have used that for someone with low AMH. And mm. so, but they didn't. So they, they proceeded to use that. So we ended up using several drugs, maximum, maximum dosage of gonal F of menopause, just trying to boost yeah. uh, the stimulation, which eventually we did get eggs. But I'm looking back now, I'm sure they were probably already fried. I cannot imagine they were any good to be sincere, right? Because sitting the high, like, I mean, I was taking menopause, I was taking gonal F, I was taking growth hormones. It was just a crazy mix, I think. Yes, yes. Right? So, but if I'd known that, that, you know, without a blood test result, how are you determining what to use? Because again, after that, and I went to the UK, um, they didn't use Zolodex. They used a, a nasal spray, which is something they could control every day. So based on the on the scans, they could tell you don't use the spray tonight, use it tomorrow, right? It was easier to control because they didn't want to shut it down too much because they knew that based on the blood work, it needed to be adjusted frequently. And at that time, we only used Gunal F and the outcome was way better. Uh, again, they also noted in the UK that maybe it was easier for them because I'd already had two cycles before. So they could use the bad experiences, quote unquote, to uh, adjust things they were gonna do. They could use that as a, a guide 
So perhaps they were lucky in that sense. So, um, but I think it's important to not to just go for IVF without doing some research. It's just, again, some clinics could be quite interesting because looking back that they shouldn't have done that. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Cause there's so much that you need to learn about your hormonal levels and AMH obviously will um, determine quite a bit in terms of what drugs will probably be best or not. That's yeah. interesting. I've never heard of that one that you mentioned. I never heard of the nasal spray either. Oh, so yeah. there's just so many options. So many options. Yeah. But I know that the doctor even said to me in the UK that Ozolodex is probably be useful people that have like a lot more and much higher AMH, not at my level. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that. I just kind of believed the doctor for whatever. Now I know better. Now I'm definitely into like, okay, are you listening to me or you're not listening? Yes. <laughs> and if you're not listening, it's like, okay, time to, yeah. So it's um, Out the experience. Door. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially since I'm paying, right? It's not, it's not free. No. Right? So, so much. Paying a whole lot of money. So, exactly. So I'm going to have to need you to listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's funny with the, with the doctors. I think they see so many people and it just becomes sort of a natural thing for them. Right. But for us, it's yeah. like, I just want to do this one time. I don't want to see you over and over and over again. So <laughs> yeah, but I think for them, it just becomes a thing. It's their job. And it, they probably don't overthink so much, right? Oh, this person already did six rounds of IVF. Like, what does that mean financially, emotionally, the traveling? Of course, they know you're not from there, right? Because yeah. of the scheduling. So, but yeah, unfortunately, they don't take too much in consideration, I find, yeah. from my experience as well. I haven't gone through as uh, many as you have. Oh, one, one is enough, I think. One is enough to know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The one is enough to know. Um, so how, so throughout all of this, so you've had losses and I'm so sorry um, about that because it's really a tough thing to, to go through. And then all of these rounds and all of this experience in different places, how have you been coping since the beginning um, emotionally with your own self, like any thoughts that, that you had, that you had to deal with, like negative thoughts and feelings. And then how about you and your husband together as well? We haven't talked much about the husband yet. No, we yeah. haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for us together, I think it's helped us in the sense that, again, because we're not talking to a lot of people about it, we've had to rely on each other for support. Mm -hmm. So through the losses, we had to cry together. I mean, maybe he didn't cry, but he was upset. I could see that. Uh, and it was sad. Uh, but through all of that, um, we had to rely on each other and support each other and encourage each other and, you know, and pray together and then tell ourselves, well, it's going to work out and just hold on to faith. Yeah. Um, so that has been helpless in that sense to just I think it's it's helped to have two people dealing with it together but I think in that sense it's it's helped uh, in terms of emotional yeah uh, I don't know there's some hard days where you just stay in bed and don't just just want to listen to music that makes me cry mm -hmm. and then I cry and cry and then I feel better and then I'm okay again the next day 
So there are some good and some not so great days. And of course, sometimes when you see that some of the people just like start trying like today and then the next month they're already pregnant. Uh, and they think, oh, wow. Or I think, what if those losses hadn't happened? You know, those kids will be here now and they will be this year old or they'll look like this or like that. and what will their personalities be like? So there's those days and there's, and then there's the days you wonder as well, like everyone's, my friends already have kids or kids already in maybe primary school, some in high school maybe. And they think, oh, when I have kids, who are my kids gonna play with? Because even my siblings have kids. They think, am I gonna have to make new friends to, for them to have play dates and stuff? Yeah, that's so interesting. You're the first person that I hear saying that because it's thinking like so far ahead. But I've had those thoughts too, of being like, especially because we live in Canada and the, our lifelong friends are in Brazil, right? So we, we don't have a lot of friends here and not a lot of them have kids. And the ones that do, um, they're older now. So they'll probably like help babysit our babies <laughs> instead, instead of being like close friends, which is kind of good. Yeah, you're right. But um, I've had those those thoughts too. And it's, yeah, it can it can bring you down quite a bit when you get into that. Do you have any, do you feel though that coping with those emotions have gone have gotten easier through the years or you know when you have a bad day you have a bad day but do you feel like you can like pull yourself out of it easier than you did yeah. years ago I don't think it, I'm not sure if it's easy yeah because I allow myself to feel the pain I'm not gonna hurry it uh if I want to cry I'm gonna cry yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. um and I love music music has always helped me because again I can pick the music to listen to if I wanna, if I wanna feel the pain, and if I want to to uh, deal with the grief, I'm gonna listen to certain types of music. And then if I wanna be upbeat and excited, I'm gonna listen to different types of music. Um, so I think, but I think also sometimes I'm also. I try to balance the, the, there's a lot of pain, but there's also a lot of things to be grateful for. Mm. Um, I am here and alive and well. Some of those uh, losses, I have been quite uh, life-threatening in terms of the complications that happen afterwards. So, and I know for some people, they did, uh, they lost their lives in those situations. So, when I think about those those things, so when I remember that and say I say to myself, because again I am I am a Christian, so I do I'm thankful that I'm here and that you know when there's life, it's another chance to try again. So I um, I think of it that way sometimes as well. Yeah, I think that's a great um, advice for people that are just starting and feeling so frustrated like there isn't uh like there isn't anything to pull from in this journey and if you just keep going and reflecting and looking back sometimes it's painful but you can find little things like you said to to be 
Grateful is such a hard word, right? <laughs> Grateful, thankful, you know, this is a gift. It's not really. No. But it's, but no, you, like you said, <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not. Call it back. <laughs> yeah, because it's not, I would have uh, rather not dealt with all of this. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think this, yeah, and the the music, music is such a, magical thing isn't it it takes mm. you places and yeah and I I love how you can have the presence of mind to like choose like as you were describing I was like getting emotional yeah. you know because <laughs> you're like I'm in this mood now and I think it's so important what you said before that like you allow yourself to feel your pain and you sit yeah. in that um for as long as you need to and then you you keep going right so yeah. I think that's an important lesson too for for listeners that are going through this because you can't just pretend that you're not in pain and pretend that that you're not suffering or sad or frustrated angry whatever it is right because yeah. that is like bottling it down is that's not funny. a good idea yeah at all no. at all yeah I know. And I'm also, I think, also thankful for the fact that we can actually afford to pay for the treatment mm. because we don't have insurance. Yeah. I mean, it's not, there's no government assistance in that sense. So, and I know some people might not even need IVF. They might need something, maybe just a blood test to let them know certain things about themselves and they still can't even afford that. So I know... I am privileged to be able to even afford it. Yeah. And, um, that's one of the reasons I also try to raise awareness because again, it'll be nice to have some kind of support either through the employers or through the government just to help people. Yeah, absolutely. Is in Nigeria, is there any plan um, around that? Are they, are people talking about it and in, in terms of support? No. And is it that no, I, no insurance company covers or just a few do and yours, or you happen not I, to have it? No, I'm not aware of insurance companies that covers IVF or fertility treatments. So again, that's another part of uh, campaign that I'm trying to work on just to try to at least raise awareness that employers should be thinking of that like that's something they definitely should be providing because there is insurance for lots of employees for other conditions yeah so why not fertility treatment but I think again because people think they think it's not a lot of people dealing with it so to them just think well it's just a few people I mean that's not enough reason not to do it but I'm not sure they realize how many people are dealing with it and I think also because people are quite if you're not dealing with infertility, I think you could be a little bit ignorant about it. So yes. perhaps that's another reason why. So if we at least have the campaign and raise awareness, maybe that will let them think about it to just know this is an issue and this is something we need to be um, talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me, it's like my biggest pet peeve is that people don't see for whatever reason, right, through all, all these years, again, because probably stigma and not talking about it and whatever, um, is lack of awareness and knowledge surrounding the issue, that for, uh, infertility is not seen as a condition mm -hmm. or illness, disease, whatever you want to call it. 
it should. That's how it, that's exactly how it should be labeled. So it gets covered and it gets funding and yeah, we're, we're lucky here in Ontario to have funding for at least one cycle. And I always tell my husband too, like, we're so um, privileged to even be able to be in debt, you know? Like we have the ability to be in debt and then slowly paying it. We don't have the privilege of having all the money to pay for it up front, but we, we used up our funded and all that, but we have the privilege to be in debt and still be able to control it and survive and not worry if we're going to have food on the table tomorrow. And yeah, or even if, you know, it works and we're going to have a baby because eventually, you know, hopefully that's where we're all going to be. And we're still going to be able to provide for this baby. Right. So yeah. it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's a These lot really of important things. Yeah. Because yeah. When, you, when you spend so much money trying to have a baby, you're like, well, where's the, you know, it's so expensive. Yeah. It can be, it can be so stressful. It can be so much on the couple as well. Right. So I'm glad you guys are also like supporting each other, like you said, and the faith, how important is it for you guys, the faith that you have in, in your, in your Christian religion? I think that's crucial. I think that's a big part of it because again, amazing. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm not sure how, how else we'll have dealt with it we needed to believe that God has a master plan and all this will make sense, not be less painful, but perhaps all this will make sense in hindsight. I would never say, uh, I don't know how to say it all happens for a reason because I don't believe that, but I believe, based on my faith, that God has a plan mm-hmm. for everything. Now, I'm not sure why the losses needed to happen, and I'm not sure why I needed to do so many cycles to get whatever I'm trying to get. But, you know, everyone has different paths. Yeah. One journey. It, so this is ours. It's it's yet another support, right, that you can that you can reach for. And it helps you yeah. through it. Yes. Um, can we share a bit about your, so you have fertility conversations on Instagram and now you yeah. have a new group <laughs> yeah. of beautiful, amazing, strong women and, and the, and the conversations on clubhouse. So can you go about yeah. how this group started and what is the goal with it and how people can reach out to you guys and join the conversation? Um, well, I meet all those ladies on Instagram <laughs> and some of them I've met in person, uh, you know, through this, um, te- trying to conceive community, um, and then we had something last year. We always have those conversations because, again, we're all from different African countries and people talk about what's happening in their own country and how it was and those conversations we're having. So we had something about um, pregnancy loss support last year on Zoom. And so many people joined from all over the world and it was actually pretty amazing and people shared their experiences. Of course, some people... Um, didn't show their faces because that's the reality of um, of the culture of of the situation of the stigmas attached to infertility and pregnancy loss. 
but it was still very good and very important. And people seemed to reach out after that to want to continue these conversations and continue that kind of support. So we always thought, okay, we're gonna keep that going um, once a month. But I thought, I think over time we realized that wasn't enough. And that perhaps having, I mean, Clubhouse is perfect. You, know, you don't have to get your makeup done. You don't have to <laughs> <laughs> worry about your hair. <laughs> you could just start talking. So I think it just seemed like a better, I mean, Zoom is still important and we still have to keep that going because I think Zoom provides something Clubhouse cannot, they're different. But Clubhouse could also be very frequent on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So that's why we started in that as well. And I just find that even though infertility is still an issue all over the world, I mean, there's still stigma everywhere. And some conversations that you hear, even in the Western world, is the same as here. However, again, I think culture adds a little bit of a, a layer to that. And some beliefs could uh, complicate those experiences. Like when people have experiences that, you know, perhaps this is happening because of something you did in the past, or perhaps it's a punishment, perhaps it's a curse. Mm. Perhaps someone is attacking your family because of, you know, perhaps it's someone, your neighbor, or whatever the case may be. When you start adding those kind of beliefs as well on top of it, it could get really complicated and the expectation, you know. So I am fortunate in the sense that I'm even having the chance to have these conversations and keep this going. I know that the reality is that some other women have it not so great experiences in the sense that people around them are probably saying a lot of mean things to them on a regular. I can choose to put boundaries on certain people because I know that certain, they often say things are not nice or they're very, very negative. I don't want that kind of energy around me. But some people don't have that choice. Mm -hmm. Some people are living in communities where they have to face those kind of people every single time. So it was important for her. And that's the same in different countries all around Africa. So I think we wanted to, everyone's experiences are different, but we wanted to provide some kind of support to people all over, just for them to know that it's not just them. Yeah. There's other people and it doesn't make them any less because I think that's what people always say. There's something wrong with your quote unquote damaged goods, whatever that might mean. Right. There's something wrong with that yeah. person. They're not really a woman if you can't have children or if you're having problems. So those kind of things can be very, I don't know. It can just be really terrible for anyone to have to deal with that on a regular traumatizing really yeah yeah so I think that's part of the reasons why we just and the more conversations we had we realized that this is not something just happening in Nigeria or I don't know Ghana or Zimbabwe or whatever else uh it's happening a lot to different people we all I mean different stories different situations but yeah it's happening and the conversations need to be had and of course because you look out on social media as well many times a lot of the faces you see of white women, mm -hmm. which is not wrong, but it's just that I know lots of black people, Asians, uh, Arabs, you know, Spanish, like wherever different cultures are also dealing with the same issue. Yeah. But I think if you're not seeing those faces, you start to think perhaps it's not something that impacts me or people from my culture or society or country so I think we needed to provide that awareness That's I think in that mix Africa was missing <laughs> I, I, wanted to, 
yeah, to say that it happens here too. I think I think you can say that about social media in general. It's very white washed yeah. and so you need representation and and you guys are doing amazing. Yeah, I know I've joined um twice. I think my description yeah. for you was um <laughs> it feels like it feels like an interactive podcast. So like yeah. I'm sure for people that like myself that was listening to your podcast before we um we became more friendly and and chatting more often and yeah. and then they feel like they can, I can talk to you now and you know I just <laughs> exactly. listened to your voice on my phone and now here you are you know like calling out my name or whatever it is so it's I think it's exciting for people to feel like they're in the community even more than just following an account on Instagram. So, yeah. So I just wanted to forward, I guess, my thanks to to your group because it is it is really beautiful, and I'm sure that for your community as a whole, the representation is probably even more important and special than it does feel for me. So it's beautiful, really, really nice. And Thank I do you. totally recommend people join it. Um, so can we finish with, um, <laughs> yes, yes, please join. So do you have any one advice or recommendation of anything like um, for the listeners, a book, a mentor, a quote, maybe that has helped you through your journey and your struggles? Well, I'll give two. One is religious because I am Christian. So I think it says, I'm going to try to quote it. <laughs> I should have looked at it before this. <laughs> uh, I think it says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I always use that and remember that. And I actually have that in my bathroom. It's there all the time and I see it and, you know, encourages me. And for the non-religious one, I say we still hope. And sometimes against all odds, against all logic, we still hope. It was very important in this yeah. journey. It is. It is. Yes, yes. The hope that never dies. Yes. Yes. Regardless of the outcome, hope <laughs> is always important. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those are beautiful. I got goosebumps with the with the one with God, everything is possible. Was that it? Yes. yes. And because I'm, again, I'm not religious. I think we had a conversation already. Um, I mean, I shared that, but when, but I do believe that there is like something, right? Whatever you call it, the God, universe, energy, Buddha, whatever it is, right. That you, that you believe in. And I, I do totally believe that there's like energy that's beyond, beyond our comprehension, beyond what we are aware of on our day-to-day. So it it gives me goosebumps because we do have to try and, and reach out for this energy. If you're giving it the name of it being God or whatever it is that supports you. So if you, you know, like just, get in tune with with a higher energy and believe that yeah anything is possible it's beautiful i love it thanks for sharing um to wrap (laughs) it up can you give us the listeners um all your handles on social media and how to reach out hey um yeah we can reach out at fertility conversations and instagram fertility conversations blog.com uh on twitter not as active on that, but fertility convos. That's uh, 
And that's the same for Clubhouse and on Facebook as well. Fertility Conversations. Yeah, everything for Fertility Conversations. We just need to keep talking. Excellent, excellent. And your group, and the new group. And my group because, is yeah. Fertility Coalition. That's right. And that, you can reach that from my Instagram as well because I tag them. It's on my bio as well. Excellent. Yeah. And I'll put all of those on the notes, including your um, beautiful quotes as well. And your (laughs) um, your podcast. I know we didn't talk much about your podcast, but if you want to briefly talk about that and what is your um, like, what is your goal? What do you love about the podcast that you do? I love it. Definitely Uh, recommend it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. But actually, funny enough, I actually started that. I mean, I saw the podcast and I wanted to start one, but mm-hmm. I, I never actually started it. So when the lockdown happened last year, my husband was like, oh, well, this is a perfect time for you to start it. And I kept on giving excuses, but then he kept on nagging me every single day about it. So I just thought, I'm just going to start it, do one episode and just, you know, then you can leave me alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so cute next- <laughs> that he was so encouraging. I love that. Yeah, That's we get adorable. to the like, oh, so have you started now? Have you started today? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, that's why I started. And now it's amazing. He listens to it as well. And sometimes it actually also helps, right? We listen to certain topics or episodes together and then we're like, oh, wow, that was really hard. And look how, you know, how well it turned out. So I think it also encourages us to, when we listen to those podcasts and see how people are handling it and how they handle it and, you know, where they're at right now. Yeah. So as much as I started it to encourage other people, I think but also started to encourage myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's so nice to find something where you can support yourself and you can help other people. Like how perfect yeah. is that? Yeah. And I definitely recommend it. It's cute. My husband um listens to mine to my podcast on on in the car, like going to work and coming back. Oh, and then just the nice. other day he's like, Oh, I love that quote that so and so said. I'm like, Oh, you're actually listening. Thank you. <laughs> that's adorable yeah well thank you so much Ola I am so so happy that we had the chance to sit and chat and (laughs) I do I do wish you and your husband all the good luck going forward I know it's been a struggle with COVID and the traveling but you're always in my thoughts and I hope things flow pretty soon Amen. For you too. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for having me. I Thank love you. your show. I love everything you do. Raising awareness. I think, like you said, representation matters. So it's important that you're also um, raising awareness um, coming from Brazil and being Brazilian Canadian. So thank you for all the work you're doing as well. Yes. We need thank all you. of us in there. Yes. Holding all hands. Yes. Sharing yes. all that stories. Yes. Thank Perfect. You. Thank you too. Okay, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And I urge you to run right now and follow Ola on all the platforms that she's involved in. The details are on the notes of the episode. And you can reach out to her if you want to share your story on her podcast and join her conversations on Clubhouse. I promise you won't regret it. She's amazing and I'm so honored to have met her.
I hope you are all staying safe and taking care of yourselves. Here in Canada, the weather is finally feeling a bit warmer, although this week has been quite gray, besides, you know, the snowstorm also that we had a couple weeks ago. The baby bump is getting bigger, the baby's room is slowly filling up with little things and boxes and stuff, and you know, we are taking one day at a time breathing through the uncertainties of the pandemic, the vaccine rollouts, restrictions and lockdowns, and the racial injustices in the news that just won't let us catch our breath. And I'm sending all my love to all that have been affected by lockdowns in fertility clinics too, that have had their cycles interrupted, cancelled, or postponed. Big hugs to everyone, and... I'll see you next week. This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show, and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all, and I'll see you soon.